In March of 2023, Tennessee pastor Greg Locke released a documentary film entitled Come Out in Jesus' Name. The film chronicled the ministries of deliverance ministers such as Alexander Pagani, Isaiah Salvador, and Mike Signorelli. The movie features footage from real-life deliverance services where individuals allegedly manifest demonic spirits while screaming, retching, falling, shaking, and writhing on the ground, all while a deliverance minister screams at the demon to come out in Jesus' name. Some parts of the film are, well, disturbing. Biblically speaking, there certainly is a category for demonic manifestations and deliverance. Throughout 2,000 years of church history, the Christian church has practiced exorcisms and deliverance. But this new breed of deliverance ministry is a bit different. Many of the individuals of the deliverance services from the documentary are actually professing Christians. And a lot of the techniques espoused in the documentary are a bit unconventional. So, can a Christian have a demon? Where does the ministry of deliverance fit in the lives of Christians? Is this just something we practice on non-believers who want to be set free, or do Christians ever need deliverance? And if they do, does it have to look exactly like it looks on this documentary in order to be effective? But just an FYI, by no means is our viewing and discussing this film an endorsement of it or even a critique of it. We simply want to talk through this topic of deliverance and examine how we as believers can think through it biblically. So if you're ready, buckle up. This is going to be a wild one. Welcome everybody to the Beards and Bible Podcast, the podcast where we talk about Bible beards and everything in between. My name is Josh, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Gabe. Gabe, how you doing tonight, man? Doing awesome, doing awesome. I just got over the weird uh, stomach bug that was going around in this area, kind of like the back-to-school stomach bug. Ooh. The one that, uh, yeah, doing a little bit of up-chucking in the middle of the night, you know, and woke up 3 o'clock this morning to the sound of my one of my children up-chucking on my bedroom floor. So that's always oh. always a delightful thing to wake up to, right? Isn't it great when one person in your house gets a virus and then everybody in your house shares it yeah. with each other? Isn't yeah. That wonderful. Yeah. It's like staggered. We all take turns. So yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you doing though? I'm good, man. I'm real good. Uh, just staying yeah. busy, staying super busy. But uh, dude, you came back from Israel. How was the rest of your trip? Mm. I was a blast. It was a blast. It was an adventure. Awesome. Uh, if you're on the fence about going to Israel, those who are listening, you should just do it. You never know what tomorrow holds. And, uh, yeah, it's super easy country to get around in. Rent a car, book some hotels, do it all on Expedia, and just super easy. Just make your own itinerary. Wow. We're and, not even uh, being paid by Expedia, and you just dropped it. I know, name, so. I know. Yeah. I did it in Expedia. And the one the one hotel <laughs> I used, I used booking.com to book a hotel, and I booked it a week later than what we were actually wanting to stay. And oh, no. uh, so we had to like plead for mercy with the owner of the hotel, hmm. and he ended up being a really nice guy and found us some rooms available. Yeah, that's so, good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a big, big blooper on my part. But yeah, it was an yeah. awesome trip. That's awesome, man. Super jelly. Super jelly. I think yeah. last time we talked, you were telling us about uh, your Hezekiah Tunnels experience. And mm. uh, that mm-hmm. was a, that was a big hit. Many people were asking me about that. 
And I, okay. didn't have any more, I didn't have many more details to share other than just a, an Arab man and his whitey tatties accosted you in Hezekiah's mm-hmm. tunnel. But uh, yeah, yeah. any more memorable events from that trip? <laughs> that are appropriate to share on the podcast? Uh, <laughs> no, uh, he just uh, man. Yeah, I went to some. I went to some cool places that I had not gone to before, and we spent a considerable amount of time in the Judean desert, like probably a good four days, just in the desert. It was so hot right there on the Dead Sea, on the coast of the Dead Sea, and um, yeah, just uh, experiencing. We went to this little spring that flows out into the Dead Sea and the spring starts way up in the mountains and Judean mountains. And you can just follow and hike this, this little Creek up into the mountains. And there's all kinds of like foliage and stuff. It's like this little spring oasis as you're walking through this little Valley. And uh, so all kinds of like passages come to mind, you know, and from the Psalms and like, oh, yeah. it was just really cool. Cause you realize as David's writing a lot of the Psalms, like my, my soul thirsts for you and stuff. It's like as the deer pants for the water, it's really comes alive because out there there's such a stark contrast and between the desert and, and how essential life is and how quickly you will die out there. So cool wow. stuff like that. I mean, it's just That's awesome, man. endless, you know, the amount of experiences you have. And yeah. for me, it was the second time going there and uh, I still learned so much and took away a ton and um, <clears throat> I look forward to going back. That's awesome, man. kind of seems like this trip, you guys we're off the beaten path a bit more than most people who visit, which is in true Gabe Rutledge yeah. style. I've always known yeah, you to be a person yeah. that does things like that. So it's not, it's not, it's not intentional though. It's more just my frugality winning over the, <laughs> you know, the, the con- convenience of just booking a tour and going with a big tour group and actually having everything planned yeah, out yeah. for you. It was yeah. more just me just trying to save a buck and, but yeah, no, I do. I enjoyed that. And, um, yeah, I, I really did. That's awesome, man. Wow. So speaking yeah. of uh, uncharted territory and being off the beaten path, mm. you and I just watched a very, very interesting, I guess is a good word for it, documentary. Yeah. yeah. Come out in Are, Jesus' Is name. blood still shooting out of my eyes from <laughs> from watching it? It's, I don't, can't tell. Uh, I think I rinsed them out enough. So I watched it last night. You watched it today. Um. We're going to get into it tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about it and all that stuff. Just like first reaction before we get into it. Like just give me like your first guttural initial reaction. I'm sure you're probably still processing a lot of what you saw. Yeah. Just like sadness uh, over the deep, deep hunger of people to experience a close connection to God in some way, some kind of manifest uh, connection to God in his presence and, and the supernatural realm and doing so the, to the exclusion of their better judgment. Um, hmm. That was, that, that's my initial reaction. Uh, it's really fresh in yeah. my mind right now. And um, yeah. Interesting. Sad, saddened, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had the same feeling watching it, seeing the, hundreds if not thousands of people in those services that look like sheep without a shepherd and Mm -hmm. many of them who greg Locke even says on the documentary you know these aren't people from our church they just come on sunday nights to the service and then we don't see them again acting like that was like a really Mm. you know noble thing like oh my gosh look at this revival happening all these people look at all those cars lined up and and i just found myself thinking and the documentary is over 
I wonder like what life is like for those people when the cameras are off and the music is over and the lights go out in that tent and they're driving back to their houses in a car, like processing what they saw, you know, because you and Mm -hmm. I both come from a charismatic background. And I remember a lot of services that were very, very wild and very crazy. And I remember the hardest part of those was after the service, trying to process what did I just see? How much of it was God? How much of it was not God? How much of it was real? How much of it was fake? And I just wonder how many of those folks probably are thinking through those things and processing through those things. Did you, did you think that as well? No, I didn't get that far yet. I think just my heart was just heavy for those people. Um, because yeah, like you just, you hit the nail on the head as a sheep without a shepherd. And as someone, I, I think who has a shepherd's heart, my heart breaks for people like that because hmm. they're just so hungry for leadership and vision and direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Um, <clears throat> come out in Jesus name. We are certainly not endorsing it and we are certainly not condemning it. What we want to do tonight is we want to discuss it and we want to discuss some things related to, okay, what, what was the film about? What is some of the theology the film presents? What are some things about it? We could say, okay, yeah, we, we agree with that. And then what are some concerns that we have? And as you can tell, just initial reaction from Gabe and from me, there are quite a bit of pastoral concerns that we have about it, but we'll get into that here in a minute. But, um, I think it's helpful to know that this film is made by Greg Locke, the pastor that the film features, right? So it is produced by Locke Media, I guess his own media group. He is the executive producer of it. So he is the driving creative force behind everything you see on the film. And so... I think if you really want to understand this film, you need to know who Greg Locke is. Because if you just watch this film, you would think that this man is just the most passionate, Jesus-loving, pure of heart, um, godly pastor. Humble, yeah. (laughs) I mean, don't, don't you agree? Don't you think the film kind of shows him in the best light possible? Oh yeah, absolutely. All the best camera angles and everything. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Which like you said, if you don't have any other context about his, his, his past or his teachings or his predictions, uh, you would think, you would think, oh, this is a really gracious man. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing all that, and when you research that, you're like, oh, oh man. Right. Yeah. But yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. No, no, no. So, um, Greg Locke is a non-denominational I would say he's probably moving more towards the Pentecostal world pastor. Mm -hmm. He is the founder and the senior pastor of Global Vision Bible Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, which is right up the road from me. I'm in Mount Juliet all the time. I was in Mount Juliet not too long ago. I was doing some stuff up there with uh, CTN, and uh, the studio is near Global Vision Bible Church. So, yeah, not too far. Um, 
Yeah, so just a bit about his history. He had a very troubled childhood. He was sent to a children's home at age 15 where he became a Christian. That's actually part of his testimony that he is, you know, he tells you about in the documentary. He started Global Vision Baptist Church in Mount Juliet in 2006. But what's interesting is he was originally associated with the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. And he he was an evangelist. He was a traveling evangelist in the IFB. <clears throat> and I guess he, he talked a little bit about that in the documentary, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, very briefly. Yeah. Did you think it was interesting how he talked about how he finished Bible college in three years instead of four? Like he just kind of dropped that in there to humble brag? Yeah, yeah. There was, a, there was quite a few humble brags about that, about having millions and millions of followers on social media. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah, that that's kind of like, yeah, red flag one. You're like, hmm, okay. So at any rate, um, he was in the IFB. He was an evangelist in the IFB. He wrote a book while he was an evangelist in the IFB uh, about Benny Hinn, interestingly where uh, mm. the book basically criticized Benny Hinn and called him a false prophet. What's so remarkable about that is if you go on YouTube and you type in Greg Locke with Benny Hinn, there's a video that came out about a month ago with Greg Locke sitting next to Benny Hinn, gushing over Benny Hinn, how godly Benny Hinn is and how awesome Benny Hinn is. Um, you know, telling Benny Hinn, I criticized you in the past, but I'm sorry, you're, you're a godly man of God. So kind of interesting. Mm. So in 2011, uh, Global Vision Baptist Church became Global Vision Bible Church. They formally split with the IFB movement and became non-denominational. And uh, as far as you look into Greg Locke's history, he's always been a bit of a showman. Um, in 2012, he spent four days and three nights in a scissor lift 30 feet up in the air in order to raise money for the homeless. And in 2014, he went on a 3,020-mile cross-country cycling trip to raise money for church expansion. And so he's, <clears throat> I guess, his, I mean, all this stuff we're talking about with him is public knowledge. You can look it up on the Internet. Um, in 2015, that's when he really started getting on the map. And you see this in the documentary. He, he begins to talk about how he built his platform. And his first kind of major wave he started making on social media was where he publicly demonstrated in front of a local middle school in order to condemn a school district curriculum on Islam. And that was a video of him on his Facebook in front of this school, you know, criticizing them because they were, you know, in a middle school curriculum. Um, you know, it talks about Islam. And in 2016, that's when he went viral on his Facebook because he stood outside of a Target and his saying was, have you lost your ever-loving mind as he goes after Target's gender-neutral bathroom policy. Mm. <clears throat> and this became like basically his calling card, outrage clickbait where he would post a video of himself outside of a school or outside of a store or outside of whatever, and people would share it and he would go viral. 
And it's so weird. I mean, did that <laughs> that part of the documentary where he's talking about that not just like make you just think of like I don't know a, a middle school kid bragging about how many likes and clicks they have over a TikTok video? I mean, that was just that was just weird to see a grown man. <laughs> how did that set for you watching him talk about that? Yeah, yeah, it was it, it came off a little, little bit braggadocious talking about how he quickly went viral on social media and gained this massive following and stuff. And I, I think there was one point too, where he was talking about how, um, you know, he was, he was baptizing a grandmother and her grandchild. And he's like, they were on live stream and he's like, he's like, you know, we've got, we've got, I've got a whole, I've got a big church in front of me. And then I've got millions of viewers on our live yeah, stream yeah, 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 yeah. and they're watching me do this. And it's like, but yeah, you just slip in these like little, uh, little, yeah. little, like what'd you call them? Humble brags. Yeah. 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 And there's always just like a drive-by, like, oh, by the way, you know, mm-hmm. we've got this big church. And it's like, okay, thanks a lot, buddy. You want a cookie? Yeah, but he's he's so good at it and so crafty at it that <clears> it, it doesn't yeah. come off that way at first. And it's like right. your, your normalcy bias kind of smooths it out as right. you're watching. Right. And you can see how he's such a gravitational uh, gravi- gravi- gravitational uh, personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see why so many people are drawn to him. Um, yeah. when he says things like that, he has a sense of like confidence and, and, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting. Charisma. Yeah. yeah there it's a perfect word. Yeah. So Greg Locke starts to get all sorts of likes and shares and clicks cause he's posting videos of him getting outraged about something. And then it goes on his Facebook and people are sharing it. And, and what's so funny is he, <laughs> on the documentary, he almost makes it sound like he's getting famous because he's preaching the gospel. You know, like he's he's like some sort of a, a gospel preacher or, you know, faithful expositor. No, he's getting famous because he's recording videos of him sitting in his car outside of Target <laughs> going on these rants. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why he's getting it's just so funny how he acts like that's mm-hmm. like a really, really, you know, big deal. So in twenty eighteen, Greg Locke divorces his wife, Melissa Bickers. And he, in the exact same year, almost immediately marries his administrative assistant, Ty Callen McGee, who works at the church. Locke was never disciplined. He was never questioned by any elders or anyone. And true to form, Locke kind of went on the offense, stating that anybody who criticized or questioned this situation um, was called out for being divisive or being an instrument of the enemy to try to stop Locke's ministry and try to stop the move of God there at um, Global um, Vision Bible Church. So the woman that's his wife that's on the documentary with him, he's only been married to her since 2018, and that was his administrative assistant. That was his secretary at the church. So, did you know about that? I did, yeah. Um, yeah, after watching the documentary, I, I kind of like, you know, did a little bit more research on who Greg Locke was. I have no idea who he is. And that's the thing with a lot of these guys and a lot of these guys in this documentary. Um, it's kind of a who's who of wacky charismatics for sure. When you watch this, like no. this lineup of characters that are speaking at this um, deliverance training school or whatever it is. Um, and when you kind of just barely scratch the surface on each of them, you find some very quickly find some 
very problematic teaching and lifestyles and it didn't take a lot of work. No, but what's crazy about the documentary is they definitely show themselves in the best light possible and you don't see any of this stuff. There's not even (laughs) the mention of any Mm -hmm. of this stuff. And as a matter of fact, here's what's crazy about there's a part in the documentary when Greg Glock pontificates about, you know, the corruption in the American church and about how pastors are disqualifying themselves because of moral failure. Do you remember that part? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm watching it just thinking like, are you serious? You're really going to like <laughs> stand on the moral high ground of, of how pastors mm-hmm. are corrupt and disqualifying themselves from ministry after what happened in 2018 that never gets talked about, never gets mentioned, nothing. Just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just really interesting. That happens and then never steps down, never asks to take a sabbatical, never, nothing, just continues on with his church, continues on with his ministry. Anybody who questions or criticizes is called out for being divisive or an instrument of Satan to try to stop his ministry. And the church continues on and he keeps on posting controversial political clickbait and his platform online keeps growing. Mm -hmm. And then 2020. Look, like there's, there's, there's a time if pastors go through a set of circumstances that lead to divorce and then they remarry, that doesn't make you a false pastor or a yes, false absolutely. man of God. It doesn't make you a sinner. There's obviously yep. circumstances that warrant that, and that's sure. very sad and that's very tragic for all involved. Right. But there's a protocol. There's there's a way to do that in a biblical way and in a right way, in a way that is right. just a fine balance of transparency with repent, repentance and and protecting the privacy and dignity of all those are involved. Right. But how he went about doing it was complete opposite of the way it should be done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's completely silent on it. You know, I think I've heard him acknowledge it Mm -hmm. once or twice, but it's, he over spiritualizes it. I think I watched a message of him talking about how, you know, the Lord led him to a place of a place of, you know, if I was going to continue on following the Lord, I knew I could do it with this woman I was married to. <laughs> what? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so 2020 happens. And obviously that was Greg Glock's time to shine. He became very, 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 very critical of churches that closed. He continued to hold in-person services at the beginning and throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. He denounced it, said it was not a pandemic. And then he posts a viral Facebook video in 2020 about a confrontation with a Dunkin' Donuts manager who requested that Greg Locke wear a face mask the next time he came in. And Greg Ma- uh, Greg Locke criticizes the employee in the video and you know talks about how people are just a bunch of dumb sheep and you know starts bawling on the video. And it's just absolutely so unchristlike and so mean spirited. And, uh, I guess he did another video cause so many people criticized him. He said, maybe I did come across as a jerk for Jesus. So, okay. Gold star, Greg Locke. Um, 2020, <laughs> he didn't get many, but he at least gets one, uh, 2020, the political, political activism stepped up. He invited Roger Stone and Charlie Kirk to speak at his church, both of which are right wing activists. He was invited to be on the advisory committee for evangelicals for Trump. He received an invitation to the White House for Donald Trump's accepting speech for the GOP presidential nomination. And then after the election in 2020, 
uh, Greg Locke guaranteed with another video that went viral in his car, which I don't know I, why, why are videos recorded in people's car? <laughs> That's when you know you're about to hear the tr- truth about something, right? It's, you know, somebody sitting in a car on a cell phone. Yeah. So he made a guarantee. He, he made a prophecy, essentially, that Joe Biden would not serve a single day in the White House as president since Trump was the real winner of the election. So then Biden gets inaugurated, and rather than recognize his error, Locke doubled down, insisting he was not a fake prophet. It was Biden who was the fake president. So that's kind of convenient. His prophecy and prediction did not come true, and so he dropped back and punted and said, no, it's we've got a fake president. My prophecy did come true. Uh, I bet you can guess where he was on January 6th. Hmm. In his car making a video? <laughs> One would think. Uh, no, he was on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. Uh, he never made it in the U.S. Mm, Capitol. Mm. He was just on the steps. He would later denounce okay. the mob, and he called it a possible Antifa instigation. But he said this after January 6th. Uh, this is a quote from a sermon. All right, I'm going to try to read it not in a Greg Locke voice because I can just hear his voice in my head. Let me tell you something. Mm. You ain't seen a resi- an insurrection yet. You keep on pushing our buttons, you low-down, sorry, compromisers, you God-hating communists. You'll find out what an insurrection is because we ain't playing your garbage. We ain't playing your mess. My Bible says that the church of the living God is an institution that the gates of hell shall not prevail against, and the Bible says they will take it by force. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, okay. Mm. Uh, <sighs> wait, there's more. So during a Sunday service mm. in Global Vision in 2021, Locke warned people who were wearing masks, I will ask you to leave. I'm not playing these Democrat games up here in this church. Mm. So all through 21, he's all about COVID, masks, the election, all this stuff. And then something starts to happen in 2022, which is very interesting. And here's why I think it's interesting. Um, like the news cycle started moving away from COVID stories. That, that wasn't really on the news cycle as much. The move cycle started moving away from the election of 2020. Hmm. And so all of a sudden... Greg Locke starts saying really bombastic things about different topics besides COVID and the election. In January 2022, he says that children, some children who have medical conditions like OCD, autism, high blood pressure, uh, may be demonized and attacked, but your doctor just calls it autism. So obviously a lot of people were like really upset about that. And uh, Locke said his comments were taken out of context. In February 2022, his church had a book burning event where occult-related items of books were burned, which I think if it's an occult-related item truly, then that is something that, you know, okay, I would agree that probably does need to be burned, but there's probably more than just that stuff. And then in 2022, he said that a demon had told him there were six witches within Global Vision Bible Church, and he would expose them publicly 
if they did not leave. Hmm. So that's, that's the history. <laughs> yeah, that's an awkward Sunday to bring a first-time visitor to, you know. Hey, neighbor, you want to come to church with me? It happens in the middle of church. Uh, so here's what we know about Greg Locke up until this point. But even before he got into the world of deliverance, all right? So here's what we know about him. He is a showman, and he has a flair for the dramatic. Going back all the way to his days of... um you know, sleeping four nights on a scissor lift and, uh, you know, calling out Target and all this stuff. He's not, he's not afraid of controversy, and sometimes it seems like he intentionally goes after controversy for likes and clicks. Mm-hmm. He has a long history of being very careless and reckless with his words, specifically saying that his Bible says that the church is going to take the kingdom by force. All right. Well, I don't know where it says that, but if uh, you're, you're butchering and twisting the scriptures for that, right? And then we could say he has a kind of questionable record concerning his qualifications to be a senior pastor. First uh, Timothy three one through seven says that a, a pastor, an overseer, an elder is to be a husband of one wife. Um. Yeah, I think divorce and marriage to his assistant in the same year is problematic, right? I mean, that's, that's at least a raise of eyebrows. First um, Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says, a elder, a pastor is to be sober-minded, self-controlled, not quarrelsome, not violent, but gentle. <laughs> uh, a overseer is to be respectable and hospitable. So I don't think regularly threatening to kick people out of your church for wearing a mask during the pandemic or for being a Democrat is respectable and hospitable or well thought of by outsiders. First um, Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says an elder or an overseer should be able to teach. The fact that he tried to use scripture to justify inciting a real insurrection, I would say, is exceptionally troublesome and problematic because he absolutely butchered that text. And, and if you go and watch his sermons... It's a lot of that. It's taking a verse completely out of context and trying to make it dance to whatever he wants it to dance to. And, and then here's, here's like the worst part about it. Any and all fair and merited criticism or questions, he will criticize people of having a religious spirit, which is thrown frequently throughout the documentary, which I'd love to talk about here in a minute. Uh, being woke or liberal <laughs> and then being used by Satan to just bring down his ministry. So that's the history of Greg Block. Is there anything you want to add to him before we get into this? Yeah. Just on the, on the point able to teach. I mean, if you watch his sermons and clips of sermons, he's not a teacher. He, he's not even a pastor. I'll give him that. He is a rhetorician someone skilled at mm-hmm. rhetoric, which is the ability to impress or persuade people of a point. He's a very gifted speaker and communicator. And his tone of voice and inflections when he's speaking, it stirs people emotionally. It, it is very stirring and it's captivating. Mm-hmm. But he's not a teacher. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't dig into deep theological topics or, 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 or biblical languages or, or hermeneutics. He doesn't do that. He's just, he takes verses and he he 
he whips up uh, a frenzy within people. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not teaching. We shouldn't confuse that with teaching. Yeah. So in March of this year, 2023, Locke releases this documentary film called Come Out in Jesus' Name. And in the film, he is shown rubbing shoulders and receiving an endorsement with popular Pentecostal deliverance ministers, a guy by the name of Alexander Pagani, Isaiah Saldivar, and Mike Signorelli. And so in a statement made to the Christian Post, he said his desire was he was going to change his focus from politics, saying that he was misdirected by focusing on things not in the spiritual realm. And that raises a red flag to me. Hmm. Do you see where, do you see where I'm going with that, <laughs> Gabe? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think the spiritual realm, you know, should be the priority. And it, sure. it definitely has an impact on politics. Right. Uh, but no, what, what, what's your point? My point is this. I don't think he's getting likes and clicks from politics anymore. Mm. because we're not in an election year. And so, and and call me cynical, call me uh, having a critical spirit. I think that to me, I would say given his track record and his character, because he's a showman and because he has a desire for clicks and likes and to be sensational, I think he is, Maybe maybe there's some sincere intentions down in there somewhere, but I would say it's probably mixed with a desire for clicks and likes in a different way. How he can make himself known. Yeah, so you think he, he's kind of just like rebranded himself? I think so. Saying? Yeah, I think so. Especially with the failed Trump prediction, he's trying to figure out a way to rebrand himself. That's And again, that's me being cynical mm. and very, very, you know, but given his track record, and I've been following him since probably 2016, Given his track record, when he made this very dramatic shift away from politics to deliverance ministry, that was my first thought. That I think part of that reason is he's wanting to figure out how to rebrand himself to continue getting the clicks and the likes and the applause and the wow, what a what a firebrand for Jesus. But he's not going to get that from politics anymore because people are kind of over his annex. And so he's trying to figure out a way to do it again in another realm. Maybe that makes me a terrible, cynical person that's super judgmental. But again, I've been following this guy since 2016, so I kind of know his track record. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say you. I, I would say you were right if he if he was had a net worth in the millions of dollars. Uh, if he had net worth maybe of over a hundred million dollars, I'd say you were right, and surely that cannot be true. Uh, he's you know probably living just on what he needs to survive and just, you know, with the average everyday <laughs> follower of, you know, his teachings lives off of, um, hey. he's not living in excess by any stretch of imagination. Are you being facetious and sarcastical? <laughs> we should go on. Yeah. I don't know his net worth. I don't know his, but I do know that he started dressing flashier, which whatever that can, you know, that's a whole nother thing. But yes, I do think it is. <laughs> It is probably indicative of when he's sitting next to a guy like Benny Hinn and talking about how godly of a man Benny Hinn is, that something about that smells pretty fishy. So, But, you know, here's what's funny. Even though he said he's not going to focus on anything political anymore, he's going to focus just on the spiritual realm. 
He just can't help himself, can he? The show must go on and the showman must put on a show. There is no business like show business. And so just a few days ago, he was in the news for destroying a Barbie dream house with a bat that had Bibles duct taped all over it on the platform at his church mm. in a Sunday morning service. Mm. Now, Gabe, have you ever done wow. that when you've been preaching? <laughs> oh, man. And it's the thing is like he's he's tapping into some raw emotions that American evangelical Christians are feeling right now. Mm-hmm. And that is they're feeling closed in and boxed in and um, surrounded by leftist wokeism, LGBTQ stuff being shoved down you know their throats. And he knows that that is a a very uh, target rich environment if he can he can tug on those emotions with stunts like this that are very mm-hmm. disrespectful to the sanctity of god's word by the way you don't yes, do this with the absolutely. bible um, absolutely and uh yeah no i think he's he he is he is a he is a professional salesman and marketeer and uh he has tapped into a very luc- lucrative market doing this yeah Okay, so as you can tell, Gabe and I are big fans. Uh, <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I know I'm like I am. Should I be holding back more? I mean, man. And let yeah. me just say, like Josh and I have nothing to gain. It grieves me when I talk like this about someone who claims to be a follower of Christ. It really does grieve yeah, me, and my too. heart is deeply heavy, made heavy and broken by people like this and followers of people like this. So I, yeah. I don't take joy and pleasure and I don't, I'm not like having fun doing this podcast episode because like I said, I'm more grieved than anything else, but right. I just want to get that out there. Like I'm not. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also too, if anybody listens to this, you know, sends us an email and says, why don't you do a Matthew 18? Why don't you sit down with Greg Locke and he's offended you clearly. And mm-hmm. listen, um, he, he's not personally offended me or Gabe. Everything he has done, he has done mm-hmm. in the broad daylight of social media, the internet, the news media. That what we are calling out is not a personal offense that he's done to us. These are publicly mm-hmm. accessible behaviors. Um, these are patterns of carelessness and recklessness and disqualifying behavior that I would say mm-hmm. we are in fair game to say, man, like, if this guy's an elder, this guy's an overseer, this guy's a pastor, he is making himself, I think, a a very fair target for other pastors to say, brother, there's some some serious things that you need to repent for or at least address and give some clarity for because there's there's some behaviors and some words and some things you're doing that don't line up with what the Bible says. So don't send us an email yeah. saying, well, you, you need to go, just go to him. And, you know, no, if he wants to listen to this and hear, well, I would plead with you, Greg Locke, I'm sure you know the Lord and you know Jesus. I hope and pray that you do. But I would encourage you to seek out what the Lord would say about what his man is supposed to look like. And some of the things you're doing look nothing like what the Bible says, a man of God and a pastor of the people of God and a shepherd of the people of God is supposed to act like. And so if you want to sit well, down and have coffee and, and we can talk more about it, sure, but. 
and as skeptics of our podcast could look, or followers of Greg Locke who want to defend that they could look at us and saying, "What well, Gabe and Josh, you're just doing this podcast episode for the clicks and the views and likes. You're just doing the same thing. You're accusing sure. him of doing." Sure. But here's the thing: is like we we have nothing to gain from doing this. No, no. Um, I you know we don't make anything. We're not in it for mm-hmm. anything. We're not in it for notoriety or popularity by any stretch of imagination. I denounce all of that. But here's wh- here's why, I, and I, I'd much rather do an episode on like, you know, other other cool biblical topics that are less controversial. But here's why: because chances are, I would say at least fifty percent of the people listening to the sound of my voice right now, and I know you have, Josh, and I have on multiple occasions received a hyperlink to a YouTube video or a Facebook post by this man, yes. and those people that sent that link are people who are under our spiritual shepherding and care. Yep. And so what do we have to say in response? What I mean, what, can we text back all of this information and say, hey, we have some deep concerns about this individual. I would, I would take great pause in watching his videos and latching on to what he's, what he's mm-hmm. sharing in these videos. We don't have time to do that necessarily. But can no. we sit down and have a discussion and share some open and honest critique and concerns about the man's character and his track record. And then can we share this episode with other people and say, Hey, let's, let's hear the other side of the story on this guy. Right. And here are two guys who have nothing to gain from criticizing someone. And actually they have probably something to lose by doing so and whose hearts are broken by doing so. Let's share this here. Listen to this. If you're really looking for an honest dialogue on, on who this person is, have, have this, give, give this a listen, you know? Right. And that's my heart in doing this. And it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. So I just want to, no. it was kind of a tangent, but I want to get that. No, no, no. I think that's good. I think it's really good. Well, um, let's get into this. So what the movie does is Greg Locke talks about, you know, his ministry, his call to ministry, who he is, how his platform got built. And then he starts talking about how he started being led into deliverance ministry. And so basically the film is, teachings from him and others about deliverance ministry interspersed with kind of this narrative of how, you know, Greg Locke and his wife discovered this book by Alexander Pagani, who then uh, introduced him to, you know, Derek Prince, who then he went to this meeting where Alexander Pagani was there and then they learned so much. And then all of it culminated to one big massive deliverance service there at Global Bible uh, Global Vision Bible Church on New Year's Eve of 2022, where Alexander Pagani and all these guys showed up and did this massive deliverance service, right? Okay, so that's that's how the film is structured. So hmm. let's talk about the theological claims that the movie makes. So very clear from many claims that are made, these teachers say, Christians cannot be possessed by demons, right? Mm -hmm. They would say, no, a Christian is owned or possessed by Jesus. And I would 100% agree, right? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 talks about who we were, and this is now who we are. So let's get that out of the way first. If you've heard that, oh, no, he says you can be possessed if you're a Christian. No, they made that very clear. This This is kind of where they get into the realm of controversy. They say, however, Christians can be tormented, attacked, and willingly open a door in their lives to evil spiritual attack through sin, compromise, and impurity. There's one uh, 
deliverance minister that says, he quotes Ephesians 4, that says, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the enemy a foothold. And so they suggest that a Christian can give the enemy a foothold in their lives. And so a foothold would be a military usage is where an invading army secures a place behind enemy lines from which a deeper attack could be launched, like as a, like a beachhead. Does that make sense so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so like, to me, all of this passes the theological and biblical sniff test. I'm like listening to this and I'm like, yep, agree, agree. You've got verses, agree, right? So how can you give the enemy a foothold? How can you open the door to spiritual attack? Well, they talk about continued sin and unrepentance, anger, unforgiveness, that would be like Ephesians 4, 26. It says, um, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down. In your anger, don't give the devil a foothold. Unforgiveness talks about a root of bitterness in Hebrews 12, 15. Um, sexual immorality, pornography, they talk about that. Delving into the occult and false religions, they talk about that. I agree with that. Uh, filling our mind with excessive violence, horror movies, dark things. Yep, I agree with that. Intoxication, drug use. Uh, I'd say, yeah, yeah. Check, 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 check. Gabe and I are like, yep, on that. Uh, of course, I'm speaking for you, Gabe. I don't know. Are you so far as this passing the theological sniff test at this point? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm right there okay. as well. Okay. So, like, um, yeah. I mean, I, I would say yes. There, There is 100%, like, through the Bible, all of these things in our lives can open the door to the influence and attack of the demonic. But <laughs> what does the influence and the attack of the demonic look like in the life of a believer? And that's kind of where things get a little wacky and weird. Hmm. What do you say to that, Gabe? Yeah, and this is where he used the analogy. In a film, he talked about how he'll say, well, some Christians say that we can't be possessed by demons because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he goes, yeah, but if you look at the structure of the temple, there is an inner court and there is an outer court. And he goes, just like, you know, the inner court is where the, the, the God's presence was. The outer court was open to more uh, you know, people of all types or whatever. And he's like, he's like, demons can possess that outer court. And I'm like, oh man, that's where you get really get off the tracks. It's like, yeah. the, first of all, when you when you when you get away from like just the plain, like nuts and bolts of scripture, mm-hmm. and then you start using like all these different like analogies or metaphors or whatever you want to call it right, of right. like the temple structure, you're like, okay, that's when you get some really weird waters, right? <clears throat> you can yeah. really massage that a lot better, and that's kind of the, what the leg right. he was standing on with that. Yeah. So yeah. So um, Gabe and I agree, like. With the premise of the film, theologically so far, Christians can't be possessed, but Christians can be influenced and attacked by the demonic. But where we would probably differ is, you know, these deliverance ministers would say, no, the influence and the attack of the demonic looks like a demonic spirit entering into a certain part of your being, kind of, I I guess. Like, you've got a demon in a certain part of your being, and I would say, I don't... I don't know if that's exactly clear from the scriptures. I know that we can be influenced and attacked. Um, but man, I, I, 
that just that's a very I don't know, man. That's I I, I will say this. Yeah, I have said kind of an Go ahead. Oh, he he's he he made a very offhand comment at one point talking about Paul having the thorn in his flesh and mm-hmm. that being Paul unable to gain sovereignty and victory over yeah. that demon inhabiting it's, that part of his being. That is completely taken that verse out and of I was context. Like, That's not what that means at all. I was like, that is really, really weird and disrespectful and the and 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 actually flies in the face of your own theology. If right. anyone could be self-delivered or whatever you want to call it, it would be the apostle Paul. You would think, yeah, uh, you know, and why didn't he just read the Bible as you did and come away with mm-hmm. the same conclusions mm-hmm. you came away with mm-hmm. and just deliver himself from the demon or whatever? It says, right. but no, he, that demon, that quote-unquote demon, was not taken from him. That, that mm-hmm. was just there, and it said that he would he would stay humble. Um, right. So yeah, it's just a really gross misinterpretation of the, of, the, of, of what Paul is trying to say there. Yeah. So I would say biblically, some of the things that they talked about are influence and attack of the demonic in the life of the believer would be things like guilt, shame, accusations, feeling discouraged, defeated, depressed, feelings of rejection, not belonging, loneliness. Um, yeah, Revelation twelve ten says that the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, right? So if we have an enemy that tries to attack us and accuse us, then yes, that checks out. Um. I would say that, so they talk about in this documentary, when someone has a heightened temptation and a very intense, unreasonable draw to certain types of sin, then that is an evidence that there's a demon in them. One guy makes the statement, if you're addicted to anything, then you've got a demon. Do you remember him saying Mm -hmm. that? If you're addicted to anything, you've got company. Mm -hmm. That's what he said, right? So if you're addicted to nicotine, you get a demon. Yeah. If you overeat, you've got a demon. If you undereat, you get a demon. If you're addicted to pornography, you've got a demon. Um, mm-hmm. Now, let me just say this. I have met with people in my office. I've been in pastoral ministry for about 10 years. <clears throat> and it has been very clear to me as we've talked that there is a demonic foothold in their life that is leading them to not have victory over a certain sin. Mm -hmm. So I believe that that can happen, but where I'm very concerned is the blanket statements that were thrown out in the film that said, anytime there is addiction, then that Mm -hmm. means that someone has a demon. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's the implication that anytime you feel prolonged loneliness or anytime you feel prolonged depression or discouragement that that is demonic oppression or possession in your life um and you need to you need to go to his seminar and be delivered from that and right. and really guys like that's that's so false like th- those are just real human emotions that can come about from right. traumatic experiences or whatever right. um to to put that in and to say that anyone who feels those for prolonged periods of time is is being oppressed by by demonic forces is is really reckless um mm-hmm. i mean i can remember gosh like going to uganda the first time and taking taking malaria medication for the first time in my life and, and what that did to like my brain and some of the feelings that I had, it's like, and going on a long flight and feeling jet lagged. And like, you're sitting in this hotel 6,000 miles from home alone. And you're like, man, I feel really lonely right now. And just, Oh, why am I, and and, you know, all Mm -hmm. that, all that Mm -hmm. like concoction of all those different things going on. That's not demon possession. That's just a, a series of 
external environmental forces that are sure. causing me to feel that way. Yeah. And, but um, yeah, that's just a good night's sleep. It does a trick. Sure. That, that's where my concern is because like, listen, um, we have a real enemy. There are real things as demons. There's a real thing as demonic attack. There is a real way in which believers can give the enemy a foothold in their life. I'm not dismissing that or discounting that. Where I'm concerned is the black and white language, the very reckless, mm-hmm. if this is happening to you, you have a demon you need to be delivered from. Mm-hmm. Like, ew, oof. Man, that I think is so reckless and careless because I think that actually stunts people's discipleship. Hmm. Because like, okay, what do you need? Well, you don't need to be in community. You need to go to Greg Locke's church on a Sunday night and get delivered by his deliverance team. That's what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you don't need like a professional, uh, m- maybe even Christian therapist to help sure. you work through some of the traumatic things you've mm-hmm. gone through in your life. Like that would be really healthy for you, right? Right, right. Um, but instead, let's just let's just go to deliverance thing and just say that, you know, maybe you no. barf into a bowl and say that was the demon leaving you. I think that that's right, really right. irresponsible. Yeah. So um, other indicators that someone has given a foothold to Satan or a demon in their life, and I would, I think I would agree with these, that it could be. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be, but I think it could be. Um, absurd, out of nowhere, negative thoughts that are dark, wicked, and disturbing. I'd say, yeah, that, mm-hmm. that very well could be a satanic attack on somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, nightmares, bad dreams, feeling and sensing darkness and a dark presence near or around you. I'd say, yeah, that, that could be a sign of the demonic, right? And I mm-hmm. think that that can happen to believers. Um, a loss of spiritual di- desire, a loss of wanting to pray or read your Bible or be in church or doubting the goodness of God. I would say, yes, those can be uh, indications of spiritual attack. Even spiritual attack that you invited into your life because you opened the door through influence that you allowed in your life because you delved into the world of the occult or you messed with sin that you shouldn't have messed with. And so you, mm-hmm. you, you open the door to that, right? Not discounting that. Yes. And amen to that. However, again, our concern is just because you have a nightmare or a series of nightmares does not mean necessarily you've got a demon that needs to be exercised out of you at a deliverance service where you throw up in a bowl and then no more nightmares, right? <laughs> Right, right. It, it could be in extraordinary circumstances, but it doesn't always have to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, and yeah, and the big the big concern with this, in my mind, would be giving demonic forces and and Satan ultimately uh, undue worship and yes. and uh, attention that yeah. that you know oh you know you f- you go through a week of like feeling alone or depressed. Um, that's that's demonic oppression in my life you know and like mm-hmm. well maybe maybe not you know like maybe you're giving him undue credit undue praise right. yeah my biggest concern with this i guess yeah me too uh they talk about physical symptoms in the documentary that could be physical um ailments or you know a, a medical problem that nobody can figure out and so this is a controversial thing i think in the world of deliverance there are many people in deliverance ministries that cite Luke thirteen sixteen. There is a woman in the synagogue that Jesus heals, and he calls her a daughter of Abraham, and she gets healed, and and she can't like she can't stand up straight, and Jesus heals her, but 
very, very intentionally, Luke tells us that it's not like Jesus healing the leper or Jesus healing the blind. He sets her free from an infirming spirit. So her infirming spirit Mm. is the reason that she's crippled and can't walk straight. Mm. So I would say, yes, there is a category biblically for demonic um, presence in someone's life that keeps them physically bound. I think there's a pretty good reason for that. Again, it's controversial because some deliverance ministers don't say that. But again, that doesn't mean every time you get a cold, you get a demon, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's the danger of saying some of these things, like Greg Glock is saying some of these things. Um, There's clips that didn't make it into the documentary that I've watched him talk about having high blood pressure or Mm. him going into a mental hospital and seeing people in a psychiatric ward and, you know, they're not, they're not. Uh, there because of psychiatric problems, they're there because of demons. And if we in the deliverance team here at Global Bible, you know, Vision, we went in there, then they'd all be healed. They'd all, you know, doctors call it autism, but it's not autism, it's demons. And I'm like, dude, that is so, so mm-hmm. incredibly dangerous. You cannot say that. Mm-hmm. Now, it, could it be a demon? Yeah, maybe. But the way that you're making it so overarching and so black and white and so reckless and careless burdens people and creates a paranoia in them to think that if there is a physical problem, there's an emotional problem, there's anything that goes wrong in their life, it's because they have a demon. And that's what concerns me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, a vein of thought in many of the really uber charismatic circles that if you get a diagnosis from a medical professional, that you are not to speak that diagnosis over yourself. You're not to right, accept that right. diagnosis. We talked right? about that in word of I faith. I think we've yeah. talked about that in prior episodes. Yeah. yeah, the word of faith stuff. And and I think I think you know, Greg Locke is he's leaving the fundamental Baptist world and found himself to be more marketable in this other world of and and it's almost edging into that word of faith charismatic kind of mm-hmm. realm. Yeah. And I think he's finding a very liquidable market in that realm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So according to the film, how do you get set free? So if you find yourself as a believer under the influence and attack from the demonic, and you may have opened a door for demonic influence in your life through sin or through compromise, you are to confess your sin, whatever that open door is, renounce it and repent of it. Okay. So far, this passes the theological sniff test and you might be listening to this and this may sound familiar to you because you remember that time when maybe you sat with me in my office and I prayed with you through a deliverance prayer for this very thing <laughs> and nothing hmm. crazy happened. This is just good old fashioned spiritual warfare. Nothing at this point is again, kooky or weird. This is just good old fashioned spiritual warfare. Confess your sin, renounce whatever open door you did, repent of it. And he says, any unclean spirit, and this is where it's, I'm like, mm, I don't know about this, to come up and come out. So the deliverance minister calls any unclean spirit that may have been allowed to have influence over them to make itself known and then to leave in Jesus' name. Now that's the part where I'm going, I don't know if that's, necessary Mm. for that 
spirit to be commanded to manifest. Now, yeah. there was a young man when I was in Uganda two years ago. I was doing evangelism in a village. He was a self-professed alcoholic. He was not a believer. I witnessed to him. He said he had to think about some stuff before he accepted Christ. I was in that little church in that village that night. He walked in and he said, I did a lot of talk, thinking about what you and I talked about, and I'm ready to leave behind my old life and come to Jesus. So I prayed with him to receive Christ, and there was a just check in my spirit. I think it was the Holy Spirit giving me that spiritual gift of discerning of spirits. He didn't speak English. I was communicating with him through a translator. And I put my hand on his back, and in English that never got translated, I said, in the name of Jesus, if there are any unclean spirits that have influence or control over this man, you have no legal right over this young man because this young man now belongs to Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, come out in Jesus' name. And that young man began to manifest the demonic. And for about 45 minutes, myself, three different Ugandan pastors, and my buddy Mike Sanchez, we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed over this young man as he writhed on the ground as he began to scream and retch and all this stuff. And finally, whatever was in him came out. And he didn't remember a single thing. So this stuff yeah. is real. This stuff happens. However, I did not tell that unclean spirit to manifest. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's a difference between going in mm -hmm. and picking a fight to glorify that unclean spirit and then going in with authority and saying, if there is an unclean spirit here in the name of Jesus, get out. So there's yeah. a difference between yeah, being, being wise and having yeah. authority. I think, I think we're about to say the same. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I think we're about to kind of say the same thing. It's like there, he's taking, Greg Locke is taking things that are true, mm -hmm. things that are real, uh, uh, possessions that do happen, but he's putting them on this like grand stage of yes. like, let's make it a show. Let's make it a show now. Right. Right. And let's get people to come from all over the world to see the show. And that is just so uh, dangerous and reckless. Yep. I keep using that word, but yeah, right. like you said, there's, there's a, there's a great deal of wisdom that comes along with working uh, with people that you you feel and know have a demonic stronghold in their life. Um, and that's oftentimes I've done that in, in privately in people's homes with mm -hmm. them. Me too. It's not something that you put on the, on a, like a, on the stage and say, okay, everybody watch this, you know, right, that's, right, right, right. Yeah. That's a really, yeah. really un dangerous. Okay. So kind of land in the plane. Um, last page of our show notes, there are five pastoral concerns. And here, here's what they are. Um, I'll start with one we've not mentioned before. The first pastoral concern I have is the use of highly subjective, and I would suggest even unbiblical terms. The first being a religious spirit. Hmm. Anyone who expresses concern or disagreement with the form of deliverance ministry or the way that it's being done or the whatever, 
Greg Glock and others that apparently are in his orbit chalk that up to that person has a religious spirit. And that's where they're criticizing us. Okay. So what he's actually saying is anyone who <laughs> has a concern or is trying to be cautious or trying to implore him to use wisdom and criticizes him has a demon in us that is causing us to criticize them called a religious spirit. And here's why I think that's very dangerous. That is exceptionally subjective. That is depending upon who it is that gets to say what a religious spirit looks like. You know what I mean? Like what, what is even does that, what, what does that mean? I, that person has a religious spirit. Okay. That person doesn't believe in, um, you know, the gift of tongues. Some, someone may say the gift of tongues has ceased. Did they think that because maybe they disagree with me theologically because they have a different interpretation or do they disagree with me because there's a demon in them that causes them to disagree with me? <laughs> hmm. do, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, that's slander and that's mm -hmm. dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, and then another unbiblical term, and Dave, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Generational curses were thrown into this mm. as well. That if you had a grandfather or you had a father or you had anybody in your family line that was like part of the Masons or the Freemasons or, mm -hmm. you know, involved in some sort of a tribal thing, then you, you have that curse on you. What do you think about the topic of generational curses? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He mentioned... Uh masonic spirits in the film and that's one of the things he did was he was up on stage and he's like i command all masonic spirits to manifest and leave um again i don't know why the manifesting part that doesn't seem like but i guess that makes a good show perhaps but sure yeah so this is something that the the charismatics um love and love to hark on it comes from exodus 34 7 there where god says i lavish my my love to the thousands in forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And so, the, yeah, the thought process is like, okay, if, you know, you have this, uh, if your great-grandfather was an alcoholic, that maybe there's this, this demonic curse in your life from generation to generation of alcoholism. Um, that's, that's being passed down and you need to break that generational curse. Um, and if you don't, that will continue to have a stronghold in your life. Now there is a grain of truth to this. Yeah. I mean, if alcohol is, if you see, if that's what you see modeled, there is a chance that you will do that. But is it always a demonic stronghold in, in every generation? No, absolutely not. Um, they're, they're just, they're just, you know, sometimes we're just genetically more disposed, predisposed to, 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 to having an alcohol, alcoholic or addictive personality in general doesn't mean that it's a demonic oppression, but um, yeah, this, again, it's just taking taking verses like that and taking them and lifting them up out of their context and using them to build entire theological um, empires on to right. to manipulate people and, and lead them to believe that they're demonically possessed. Right. Well, and and also, like, what if you were adopted and you don't know your bloodline? What then? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How would you yeah. know if you had a ancestor that was involved in, you know, this, that, and the other, right? Yeah. And I, I would just think that, like, yeah. uh, upon salvation, 
when we received Jesus as Lord and Savior and we were filled with the Holy Spirit, we received the Holy Spirit as a seal. I would think that those, yeah. if there were curses on us, they'd be broken in Jesus' name, right? We wouldn't have to play this game of hunting yeah. down our lineage and genealogy to find out if we had an ancestor that was into something wacky. I mean, are we really prepared to go down right, that right. line? I mean, that's superstition. <clears throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you gotta you gotta shake your family tree and so, see what falls out of it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's chasing these genealogies back. But I, I think there is something wise to going back in your family lineage and saying, you know, if if let's say you had a physically abusive father, maybe go back and say, okay, where did he where did he where was that modeled to him? You know, right? Um, and how do I stop that series of events from trickling down into my children's lives and their children's lives? Sure. How do we reverse that cycle? And it might not always be a spiritual stronghold. It might just be, it might not always be a spirit of anger or something like that. It might just be that, right. um, you know, your father or it was an angry, abusive individual. And so you're angry because of that. And so you want to take that out on your children. And it's like, it's just this perpetual cycle. Um, but yeah, it might not hurt to go back and look at that and analyze and, and, and just sure. rationally ask yourself, what do I gotta do to stop that? Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that you are demonically possessed by a spirit of anger per se. Yeah. So a second pastoral concern would be the pastoral concern of methodology. So again, I shared some stories. I have done personal deliverance sessions with people in my office for years. And again, some of you listening, I've prayed with you through those. I have done deliverance ministry when I've been in Uganda. Um, but where I'm concerned is this one method that seems to be one that Greg Locke and others espouse as the best way to do deliverance. And it is through something they call a mass deliverance service. And a mass deliverance service works like this. There's a big auditorium packed full of people. There is some sort of a deliverance minister that steps on a platform and says, I command every unclean spirit that is a, you know, Freemason spirit to manifest and make yourself known in Jesus name. And then all of a sudden 10 people in the audience start to writhe and retch and fall and flop. And then the deliverance team goes and gets them and pulls them up on the platform. And one guy even has a microphone where he's saying stuff to the demon and trying to get the demon to talk in the microphone too. (laughs) Hmm. Like, no, no. Like, okay, if there were people in these services that were genuinely demonized and manifesting unclean spirits, which in watching the footage, I would say yes. That seems to be there are people who were genuinely demonized and manifesting unclean spirits. But is doing deliverance this way the wisest and most God-honoring way? Mm. Uh, and, and, and there's two other areas related to these mass deliverance services. Number one, what about the unbeliever in the back that has no context for understanding any of these things and just thinks all these people are nuts, right? And number two, what about that person who wants so badly for this stuff to be true because they want so badly for a reason to blame whatever is going on in their life on a demon And so they fall into the power of suggestion. They fall into the power of somebody else is flopping and screaming 
when the man of God comes near them and touches them on the head. So I'm going to flop and scream when the man of God comes by and touches them on the head. Mm -hmm. And I've preached in a lot of churches in Africa where I've seen that. I've preached in churches in Africa where I've seen people genuinely manifest what seems to be a demon. I'm like, yes, that is a genuine manifestation. And then seen other people who do it for attention, for a show, and because they think they're supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I really am concerned that this methodology for deliverance creates more chaos, more confusion, and more disorder than it does if these things were handled in a more prudent, wise way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think sometimes we are so quick to look at our messy lives and the consequences of some bad decisions and just it's easy just to pull the cop-out card and say that's a demon, demonic oppression or possession in our lives. When it's like, well, no, maybe maybe you just need to implement a bedtime for your kids, <laughs> or maybe you need to, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe sure, you need to yeah. quit spending all your money on on buying DVDs that are full of filth and mm -hmm. and wretchedness, and 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 watching them w during dinner time while all your kids are on their own devices, and right, yeah, maybe right. that will create a lot of strife and discord in your family. It might not it might not be demonic possession; it might just be a series of bad decisions. Sure. Um, but it's easy to just to be like, oh, it's demonic possession. Right. Um, Which yeah, kind of so, leads into the next yeah. pastoral concern, and that's the concern of blaming everything on the devil. So <laughs> it is everything that a Christian struggles with because of a demon? Uh, no. No, not at all. It could be the flesh. It could be the world. It could be, like Gabe said, unwise decisions, unhealthy decisions, ungodly decisions. So it, it it's pretty unloving to so glorify the demonic that you teach somebody, mm -hmm. Oh, you know what? Instead of disciplining yourself and getting accountability to quit drinking, you just need to go to deliverance service and have somebody slap you upside the head. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, no, mm -hmm. no repent of your sin. And if there's still demonic activity after you've repented of your sin, go get prayer from a pastor or from a godly person that, has authority over spiritual darkness, but don't think that there's like a magic pill or a silver bullet. You go to Greg Locke's church and get slapped upside the forehead and, oh, look, my life's fixed. That is very unwise. Yeah, I think we love to blame our own lack of discipline or willpower or wisdom lack thereof on Satan sometimes. And mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes there is a legitimate demonic oppression in a person's life. Um, but as red-blooded men, you and I, Josh, I mean, lust, uh, pornography, um, being, being, being cautious with, with, you know, engaging with women and being, you know, uh, being, being above reproach in that area of our lives. That's a constant battle for, yes. for, us, you know, as men, yep. Yep. and we're not above, we're not immune to any of that. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that we're like constantly being possessed or oppressed by demons. Mm -hmm. It just means that we have the brain of a male homo sapien and God wired us that way. And yet we need to crucify those, 
those urges and desires and and stay faithful to our wife. And that takes an incredible amount of willpower, but doesn't mean that it's not impossible. It just right. It just means that we need to be prayed up and we need to be on guard and put on the full armor yeah. of God. Absolutely. Um, and when we mess up, we can't we can't just say, "Oh, that was a demon that made me do it." Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Last pastoral concern is the concern of creating an unhealthy attraction towards the bizarre and novel, where immature Christians or even those who truly aren't Christian. Um, come to deliverance services as a form of entertainment or to get a good scare or to get a good quick fix for all the problems in their lives. And that is what Mm -hmm. grieved my spirit when I looked out and saw the people in the congregation. It seemed to me that it was that. That it was immature Christians or people who maybe truly weren't Christian that were coming to the sideshow. They were coming to the circus to, to mm-hmm. m- maybe see what all the fuss was about or maybe get a good scare or, well, I can't quit smoking. So maybe, maybe it's a demon. Right. And man, that, that, that is so heartbreaking to me. Yeah. And this, man. this shares, there shares my concern with when we did a revival series of episodes, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you, in these revivals, many of them, you don't see this next stage of, prolonged teaching on what everyday holiness and sanctification sure. looks like. Sure. It's just this flash in the pan show. Everyone has this big salvation experience and a big encounter and then goes back to where they came from and just mm-hmm. kind of fuses right back into what they were doing. Same thing with this, this deliverance conference thing. It's like, come see the show, come get delivered. And then, but you don't see this like, okay, now here's step two. Right. 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 Here's right. Here's how to live holy right. and set apart and, and it be discipled in that. Um, but that's, that takes too much work. That takes a ton of, ton of work and time and effort. So I understand you don't want to go into that. That's messy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our job, Josh. (laughs) Okay. That doesn't sell books and DVDs. No, it doesn't. Well, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to close by saying this. If you are a Christian and you have opened the door to demonic influence in your life because of sin because of you giving into anger and unforgiveness because of you've been committing sexual immorality. You've been watching pornography. You've been delving into the occult. You've been delving into false religions. You've been binging your mind full of excessive violence and horror movies and darkness. Maybe you've been using drugs and you're wondering, Oh my gosh, I wonder why there's spiritual attack in my life. And I wonder why I I feel this dark presence around me. Um, I would say you gave the enemy a foothold in your life. So you need to repent. You need to confess it. You need to stop whatever you're doing. And you need to take authority over the darkness that's in your life. You have that authority. And if you're like, I don't know if I can pray over that. I'm afraid it's going to happen. You, you don't need to be afraid of the darkness. You have the light of Christ in you and you need to take authority over that because Jesus has given you authority over that. If there's stuff happening in your house and you're like, I don't understand what in the world is happening in my house. Um, I had a, a guy from our church, um, who texted me once and said, Hey, all this stuff is happening in our house. Like what in the world is going on? And we were texting back and forth and, um, I sent him this and I just told him, um, Hey man, like 
you need to take authority over your house. And, and here's just a model prayer that you can just pray out loud in your house. Um, and it says, Jesus, I surrender this entire house to you. And I place it under your authority. I pray that your blood would cover each doorpost and that your presence would fill this room. Any evil spirit that doesn't submit to the lordship and authority of King Jesus and confess that Jesus came in the flesh, that's 1 John 4, 3, must leave this place now in Jesus' name. You have no legal right to be here. And in Jesus' name, you must go. And this buddy of mine prayed that over his house and he texted me the next morning and this is exactly what he wrote back. I did exactly what you said. I could feel a shift in the atmosphere immediately. No nightmares, no crazy stuff last night. So, so here's all that to say. You don't need a superstar deliverance minister to take authority over the enemy in your life. You have authority in Jesus' name to take authority over Satan and demons in your life. Stop giving Satan a foothold in your life through your sin and delving with the darkness. And if the darkness is still there, Step into the authority that Jesus has called you to. And if you're insecure about that and you don't know how to do that, you need a good pastor or a good discipler that can walk with you through that, pray with you through that, and show you what that means and what that looks like. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Indeed. Anything else to add to that? If Greg Locke yeah. is listening. <laughs> this, this, uh, yeah, when I saw you posted this on Facebook, I don't often get on Facebook. When I did, I, I saw that you posted this and saw how many comments it, it, uh, yeah. garnered. I was like, oh man, this is going to be interesting. People yeah. are, this is kind of a, an emotional topic for people I could tell. So yeah, it is. I, I, again, I just hope that this, uh, this came from a hope that you can sense in us a place of true concern and heaviness of heart and not yes. one of being jovial or just trying to slander somebody because he feels like he's competing with us or anything like that. No, 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 no. But just, yeah, just true, true shepherding that's happening. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, listen, if you have any questions, if you want to talk through this further, if you attend um, my church or any church that I'm connected with, or you attend Gabe's con congregation or you, man, you, you need prayer or you need somebody to talk, talk with you about what that looks like. Um, man, reach out to us. That's what we do. Again, I've met with so many people over the years and prayed with them through a lot of this stuff, but this is not something for us to be flipping about or be careless or reckless about, um, which is part of the reason we're yeah. concerned about it. But if you do need that um, pastoring or that discipleship in there, Gabe and I would be happy to have conversations with you about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, send us an email, send us a uh facebook comment youtube comment and uh yeah thank you guys for listening and hopefully next time we will talk about something a little bit lighter <laughs> a little bit happier yeah. so <laughs> all right see you guys see you guys Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.